If you're driven to pursue excellence, if you're passionate about exploring new perspectives, if you have the will to generate change, join us at Michigan State University and be what's next in the world. Here at one of the nation's leading research universities, you can use your talent and grit to make a difference in the lives of others. Be part of something exceptional. Be part of Generation Will. Learn more at admissions.msu.edu. Welcome to the Big Interview Q&A show for me. This is part two. I'm Martin Gregg and with me today are Graham Hunter, host of the Big Interview and our guest for these shows, La Liga TV's Pete Jensen. We have questions as always from our socios who support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and from our wonderful sponsors at Bet365. First up is socio Lee Allen. The fallout of the ESL was pretty seismic but the penalties given out for the nine clubs seemed a bit tame. Is this because the UEFA feel those clubs had learnt their lesson by pulling out so quickly and because they are more focused on the bigger fish Madrid, Barca and Juve who seem determined to cling on to the doomed wreckage what are your thoughts? Can I go back to what Lee asked there because he said you know like penalties now both you and Pete know that I think what we saw was rodent behaviour I mean just disgusting Um, feral, greedy, ignorant bloated, half-wittery but the penalties Lee these clubs mounted a challenge to you for in the Champions League, but the speed with which they hauled up the white flag, all but three of them, means that I think that if Sheffern, the head of UEFA, had punished them for their statement and their actions, which at no stage, in my opinion, damaged the current Champions League. If he didn't find a negotiated settlement with them, it would have hardened the position of the, I'm not going to call it European Super League, EHL, European Halfwit League. There we go. Now, politically, if Chefferin doesn't make some conciliatory moves, he ensures that they all go, all right, this is how it is, we're out of here. I mean, although I've lived a a long life, there are very few occasions I've ever seen anything like it. Um, I have a dilemma in that, um, you know, I hated the Brexit fever. I despise Brexit. And there was a bit of a Brexit fever outside Chelsea that night. It was was a bit of like, (laughs) I mean, the sign, one sign doesn't, you know, encapsulate everybody's feelings, but we want our wet Wednesday nights, our wet Tuesday nights at Stoke was one of the banners. But, you know, there was a, a jingoistic fever about you foreign owners can't touch our English game. And we needed that, you know. Our, I was so excited by what I saw. I was so delighted by what I saw. The, the, you're right, the, the speed of the collapse spoke a lot about how many of the club's owners or presidents had been bewitched by Florentino Perez, who is the evil little Rumpelstiltskin behind all of this. He wanted, for my taste, Lee, he wanted to have the money quickly to sign Haaland and Mbappe if he could. And a few Joshes and Charlies stamping up and down the Fulham Road waving placards at Chelsea robbed him of that. (laughs) I think it's absolutely magical. But Sheffern, in my opinion, has played this part of it correctly in that welcoming back those that wanted to wilt quickly meant that the collapse was almost total. And currently threatening to... No, I am... Sorry, Lee. 
by the time you listen to this, maybe it'll become concrete. But all we've seen is rumours that he wants to expel those who have clung on to the wreckage, Barcelona, Juventus and uh, Madrid from the Champions League for at least two seasons. And in that instance, I, I think he's right. I have no question whatsoever that as of the minute the Champions League final finishes, if those three clubs still say that they're they're forming a Super League, then they have to be red carded. Where I would agree with you, Lee, but it's not the way I heard the question, is that any fan of any club up and down the English leagues who's had their points deducted or league position adjusted because of some sort of uh, transgression of the rules, who are now looking at the English Premier League clubs who've got away scot-free from from saying to um, the Premier League, we don't need your permission, we're forming a special European league, we don't care if it impacts on you or if it impacts on other clubs, we're not looking for your permission. In the Premier League's case, I think it now looks like that they've got away scot-free. And I think smaller clubs and fans of smaller clubs should be irate. And I, I think the, the Premier League have mishandled that. Whether that's true of, of La Liga, I, I think consistently it probably has to be said that that's true because two of the clubs that refuse to, to let go of it are in La Liga. And I saw yesterday the, the head of the Italian FA saying that if Juventus don't immediately renounce the, the Super League, they'll be kicked out of Serie A. So I, I personally think that in domestic terms, the, the clubs who wilted um, have got away scot-free and, I, and I'm not certain that that's... I'm not convinced more in mind that that's rightly. In European terms, I would expect that the three remaining dullards are told by Sheffern once this European season is finished, you, you, you won't be allowed to participate in the Champions League and I think that would be justice. There's that little window, isn't there? When you buy something online, you get about half an hour, don't you? If you've pressed the wrong button, you can, you can sort of... Uh... You know, annul the 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 purchase, and and I think that's pretty much what the Eng- what the English clubs did. <laughs> that, oh no, we didn't mean to press him. Um, yeah, <laughs> and in as much as they embarrassed themselves by having to, you know, come out and say, oh, we didn't mean to do that. We didn't realise the supporters weren't going to be happy about this. Then that, in a sense, is, is, is punishment in itself. And in terms of what Seferin does with the three clubs who are clinging on to this fantasy um, that what football needs is, um, is an alternative to, to the Champions League, um, he, he needs to be careful, I suppose, not to play into the narrative of, that, that Madrid uh, are encouraging, that, that, that UEFA are a mafia and that you know, they, they tell everyone what to do and aren't they awful. Um, and the way out of that may just be that you know, to be in next season's Champions League, you need to sign... Uh, whatever it's going to be to say that you know you will absolutely under no circumstances walk away from the competition um, and if Madrid have to sign that and Juventus and Barca too and that it's made very public that they have signed that that will that will also be them having their you know pants taken down again um, it was horrible wasn't it I mean it was the it was the it was the equivalent of you know the rich old guys kind of banging their silver tip canes into the ground and saying you know we want more money we want more money um we want more customers. We want more. We want more goals. Can we not make the goals bigger? Can we not make the games shorter? We've got people in, you know, Timbuktu saying they don't like nil-nil draws. It's not good enough. I was surprised at the time and disappointed that that, that there were 
so many people, they were a minority, but there were people who, who I thought would, would, would see through what it was. It was just a power grab and a money grab and actually said, well, things do need to sort of change. Um, and, you know, UEFA is an independent body running football and it needs to be an independent body running football. And whatever criticism you might have of UEFA, does it take too much money out of the game? Is it sometimes inf- over-influenced by this club or that club? It ultimately is an independent body running football and it cannot be replaced by the 12 owners, presidents, chairmen of the 12 richest clubs. Florentino Perez cannot be allowed to be the boss of the new Champions League. Of course it can't happen. It's, it's a basic kind of sort of um, separation of powers issue before you get on to anything else. So I was, I was so pleased that it, that it was kicked into touch so quickly um, and, and English football fans did the kicking into touch. And... Um, They've got their tails between their legs. Do they need to be beaten over the head as well with, with further fines and, 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 and further bans? As I say, I just think Sefri needs to be careful not to play into Florentino's narrative that um, UEFA are a nasty mafia. Given what we saw about their, you know, the, 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 the logo they designed, the stationery, the, the corporate ID, the information that they were able to give out, the, the lack of a launch, the way in which they went off, you, it's literally proof about you know, a piss up in a brewery. This would have been a European halfwit league where somebody would have... Ah, ah, they're referees. Who's supposed to do that then? Footballs? No, I didn't bring foot... Are your shorts are too tight? You wouldn't have trusted them, honestly, to run a piss-up in a brewery. And the concept, that on top of everything else, and, and most of which Pete's detailed there, the idea that, they, that this lot could have actually... Or, they, we, we go to these games, and, and you know, the officials that... that that make it happen will grate on your nerves the rules the accreditations the, the protocols that, that you need to that we've needed to run this game during the only global pandemic there's been pandemics that have that, that have ripped Africa apart but the only global pandemic of our lifetimes and and, and the people that run football have kept soccer going you know this if, if, if that lot had been in charge we wouldn't have had football for 18 months when it started again, players and officials and fans had been dropping with COVID. The whole thing was the sickest, most pathetic joke that you could possibly have imagined in in modern football. And 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 well, people made a lot of the fact they didn't ask the fans or they didn't ask the footballers. They they cheated the very people who'd have had to deliver this league as ah it, it doesn't matter. We'll just offer them a lot more money and they'll all be fine. Well. I think they had another a shortcoming there as well. Before we go to the break, I, I do want to squeeze in a question on Valencia from Shane Hurley. Uh, Shane says, Hello, Graham and Pete. Uh, what do you think will happen in the off-season and beyond with Valencia? What's the latest, latest from the Lim family's plans? Brackets, if there is one. And has there been any real fan mobilisation that could enact change there? Uh, and he says, many thanks for all the wonderful content. Well, well, there was a massive demonstration, wasn't there, on, on Saturday, 4,000 um, uh, Valencia fans outside of Mestalla. Um, they're, they're obviously going to need to bring in a new manager. Diego Martinez, I think, is the obvious choice. It, can you persuade him to... Well, I think he's decided that he wants to leave Granada. I think he feels that he's done everything he, he can do there. Um, can you persuade him to take a gamble? Because it's become a gamble. It's always been a gamble to manage Valencia in the best of times, um, but even more so now in terms of what it does to your career. Um, they showed um, at the weekend that they've got some fabulous young players, despite the fact that they've sold so many, um, um, and including, and, and this is an important point because Peter Lim, I mean, he might not be a great at running a football club, but you assume he, he knows how to make money. 
And when you see Ferran Torres leaving the club for relative peanuts before he ever really lets the Valencia, Valencia fans enjoy what he can do on the football pitch, you wonder about um, you know the, com- the commercial brain as well. But they have got good young players coming through. Um, Thierry Correa was, was, was very good at the weekend. They've got Guillemot. They've got Carlos Soler, who's a fantastic central midfield player. Geddish, they've got Yunus Musa, who's had his first season, um, 18, I think he is, and he's been tremendous as well. So there are still tools to use. Um, and if they do, if they are able to to bring in a good manager, and Diego Martinez is a top young manager, then you know there's hope going into next season. But what's not going to change is the fact that the, the people at the club, uh, sorry, the supporters of the club, do not want him there. Um, he has got a point when he's when he says that um, you know the previous lot were from Valencia, and they're the ones that got you into this mess in the first place. But it's still um, it's still sad what's happened to the club, um, and and you can fully understand why why they're not happy with the current owners. Morning, Shane. Oh, you know, it's it's obvious that there needs to be that that no that there will be changes in that. Peter Lim has been right from the start, completely clear about the fact that he wants to cancel out the amount of money that he via his company Meriton has got invested in Valencia. He he's put it in the books. I want my money back. I also think it's completely legitimate that if you invest in a club which was going to the wall, let's be absolutely crystal clear about that, it was going to the wall, and had he not been in charge during these times when the local banks in Valencia couldn't have supported Valencia during this shutdown when the club hasn't been able to earn any money, then it would have gone to the wall. So I think that whatever discussion we have about Anel Morty and and about Peter Lim and Meriton in general needs to be in the context of there is still a... Los Chase still exist. The, the, the disgusting thing that he did was chop Marcelino's legs off at the knee at the height of his powers. When all Marcelino was asking was to decorate the squad with two or three quality footballers that would have added to the wage bill, which has gone up much against Peter Lim's wishes, and would have needed clever trading in the transfer market, either big money or good swaps or sales from the squad that Marcino um, approved of in order to do some sort of pound-for-pound betterment. And what the, the principal thing that that caused the rift between Lim and Marcelino, or no, that caused Lim to sack him, was that Marcelino was saying, I want better players so that we can win trophies, so that we can become the third force, the fourth force in this country. Do, do effectively what Sevilla have been doing, Shane. And what Lim heard there, above and beyond an augmentation of the wage bill, which he'd have had to partially fund, was the idea that the people Pete's talking about there, let's say particularly Guillamon, Kang and Lee, Eunice, wouldn't come through. Because, again, let's be completely clear about this. Lim wants those guys to come through so that they can be plumped up to be sold as turkeys at Christmas. He, he wants, it's not a long-term academy rules, we play better football, we'll have an identity. It's it's play the youngsters so that I can sell them, not like Ferran Torres, but in time t- t- to earn big fees. And that's how he sees taking his money back. Again, the, this has been made public in their accounts for well, now nearly seven, eight years, by my memory. So I, I would I would say this, uh, Shane, that was the point at which as cup holders with a vibrant side that wholly believed in the coach, whereby Lim made a mistake because repeat qualification for the Champions League would have would have allowed him to take his money. 
he he's chosen. I I would make a, a a connection between him and the way that Peter Lowell has has run Celtic. You know, brilliant scouting by Celtic over the last. 10, 11, 12 years where players have come in and, and they've just been looked at as to be plumped up and sold for big money. Whereas Celtic like Valencia, if you get into the, the group stages of the Champions League and, and you, you, you start to do well, the amount of money that you take in supersedes transfer sales. Point full stop. So now they're in a situation whereby there's going to be sales, wage bill will be cut, um, players will be used to, to bring in big sums. And and I I passionately hope Diego Martinez has got more sense than to go there. It's the wrong move for him. He'll be next in after Lopetegui at Seville. That might take two, three years. Might. And I just adamantly hope that he doesn't put himself at them because you're putting yourself into a maelstrom that however talented you are, you can't control. Xavi Gracia's a great coach. Marcelino's a great coach. Where are they now? Diego, don't go there is the message. Sorry, Shane, I'm being a bit negative, but... Um, I I I think that there are there are really really troubled really stormy times ahead for Valencia and and I worry about them and when the fans are allowed back into that stadium, just get your knitting out and sit by the guillotine because that's what's going to happen. Okay, it's time for a break. We'll be back in a moment with a couple more questions to complete part two of this month's Q and A. Need a spare part? Another five tons of raw materials? Some contractors to help with the holiday rush? Procurement can get them. Want them from ethical suppliers that balance cost and quality? That's not so easy. Unless you have intelligent spend management from SAP running in the cloud. It gives your procurement team visibility and control over spending because everything they need to find, source, and pay for goods and services is together. Intelligent spend management from SAP. Together works. Learn more at sap.com forward slash procurement together. Last summer, sleep kept us sane through the silence. This summer, you're going to need sleep to get over all of this. That's why it's the perfect time to upgrade to a Nectar mattress and get award-winning, precision-engineered sleep at incredible value. Prices start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in, a 365-night home trial, and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com. And we're back with a question from Socio Tom Lee. Hola, Graham and Pete. Socio Tom Lee here with one for May's question and answer, please. Um, what's going on at Malaga? Um, what a mess. Um, I think it was 2013 they made the last eight of the Champions League in a team that had some absolutely brilliant players. Ruud van Nistori up front, banging them in, etc. Um, brilliant part of the world, great ground. Uh, they've even got quite a cool strip, but the lights have gone out. I think, if memory serves me right, they were discarded like a, an unwanted Christmas present by their owner. And now they are halfway down the Segunda, getting spanked by teams that not very long ago they would have sent away like errant schoolboys. Uh, what is the story at La Rosaleda, please, gentlemen? Yeah, I mean, they are halfway down the second division, but they could easily be halfway down the third division. We've seen big clubs. Everything Tom says about Malaga is right. It's a brilliant place um, and it's, it's a great club and great strip as well. Um, but things could be things could be a lot worse, and I think there are signs this season that they're that they're kind of getting things back together. Altani is slowly but surely, a, you know, a distant memory. 
Um, Manolo Gaspar is the sporting director. I think he's signed a, a, a deal for a couple more years. Uh, it seems the decision to bring in Sergio Pietha as, as the coach was, was the right one because he knew the young players coming through. They're basing themselves on, on, on the young players. I've not seen a great deal in this season, but, but I've spoken to people who, who have seen them and they say that, that players like Luis Munoz, um, who's a versatile defensive player, been likened to Llorente, A, because he covers so much of the pitch, and B, because he's come through as a defensive player and, and they think that he's gonna, his, his projection is playing higher up the pitch, playing further forward. Um, they've still got a big name, so players still were happy to go there on loan. I think they've got Juan Soriano, who's, who's on loan from Sevilla, the goalkeeper. Um, so you can still you know, sit down with with fairly decent level of player and say, come here, and it's... It, it, you, you, they may be in the middle of the second division but it's Malaga Malaga is Malaga so players still want to, are happy to go there on loan they, they've got a goal scoring problem this season um, which they need to sort out they've not been particularly lucky I think um, Pablo Chavarria was, was, was maybe the, the, the man they were pinning their hopes on to solve the goal scoring problems and he got serious injuries out for the season then you've got the restrictions on, on who they can bring in because of the wage restrictions that they're under from La Liga um, bought in, in Sepovic um, for, for, for very little money he's only got one goal so far and I think at the weekend that, that game against Mallorca they had a winger playing at centre forward uh, Kai Kitana so you know it's, it's make do and it's, it's, it's patching things up and, and it's trying to bring through the young players and it's trying to attract loan signings that are decent um, I just think it could be a lot worse it could be a whole lot worse um, uh, I know all about having someone come in and destroy the club um, because he's got his eye on maybe a couple of land deals he can do a little bit further down the line, and when they don't come off, he wants to bail. Um, so I feel for Malaga, but I think um, all things considered, um, their fate could have been far worse, and I think they'll be back contending for a place in the top division, if not next season, the season after. I, I think with a little tilt, as Pete's done with his kaleidoscope, and, and isn't he adept with that kaleidoscope? I think they're a, they're a little hero story right now. Because it's it's as recently as summer last year that, you know, Altani was, or the club was laying off all its staff, that they were effectively uh, without a penny to scratch together. They were unable to field a full professional squad for games. The fact that they are currently winning back the hearts and minds of the local support, and they are, the fact that Altani has now got very little to do with the club, although I think there are still there's still a debt from him to the club. The fact that they're where they are in the, in Division Two is is I I think is a literal miracle, and it means that once stripped of of that that greedy fraud who began his blot blot his copybook long before what you talk about when a Scottish referee's incompetence eliminated them in Dortmund. When they should have gone through, they deserved to go through, and their team was just so good to watch with Juan Cruz and Van Nistelrooy and Joaquin and Isco and I forget is it was it Tulalan in the midfield and it, listen it was just a joy to watch them. We used to go down and cover them a lot. Uh, Pete was there down down to see old Quincy when he was a promising player. But right now, Tom, I honestly believe that the sheer naked football health of the club in total adversity, given where they were last summer, when effectively, without being officially declared bankrupt as a club, they didn't have, they, they were almost, for a little while, they were competing as an amateur club. And, and that situation is changing. They're going to definitely stay up. Now, it's a huge question about how well they trade, 
how do they improve realistically i i don't think the i don't i don't imagine that the demand to go up or be in the playoffs um next season is is something that honestly should should even be their priority if they could manage it it would be a happy miracle and we'd all love to see Malaga back in the top division for sure. But um, keeping the club alive, keeping it healthy as it is right now, keeping it competitive, if they can do that and, and find a way to build some degree of financial robustness, then I for one will be thrilled. And, and it's been disgusting to watch what happened to it. But Tom, we nearly lost them. We nearly lost them altogether. For a club that you know has gone financially bankrupt before and had to change its name and you know, it's 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 the very first football stadium I ever watched a match in in Spain back in nineteen eighty two. My affection for it is high, and it's a fantastic city. But um, I, I think they've become gone from being bloated, sort of blundering muppets, to a little bit of a hero story. I think they're the the heroic underdogs right now. Okay, next up is Socio Peter Gordon, who says, "Hi, Graham and Pete." Two seasons ago, the EPL contributed all four finalists in the European competitions, and this season, they have three out of the four. Barca and Real are pleading poverty and have ageing squads. Has the La Liga bubble finally burst? Pedro, Pedro, we don't know each other, but let's be completely clear about our vocabulary. You're welcome on this podcast and this Q&A. Bubble? Listen, since 2000 in the Champions League, there has been... 10 Spanish winners. After that, it's four from England, three from Italy, three from Germany. 10 Spanish winners in, since 2000 in the Champions League. Shall, shall, we, shall, we, shall we dance over at the Europa League, Pedro? 10 Spanish winger, winners since 2000 in the Europa League. The nearest is England with four. Let's go to international football bubble. As far as the Under-21 Championship is concerned, since 1998, four wins for Spain, two for Germany, Two for um, Italy and a couple for, I don't know who, somebody else. Don't really care, Pedro. Let's go to the under, what, 19s. Since the tournament was formed, Pedro, in the, on eight wins for Spain in the under 19s, the European under 19 championship. Some, I can't pronounce it, F-R-A, seems to be spelt France. They've won three times, three times. And only has the bubble burst in the European Under-17 Championship, where since the thing was formed, Spain are second with three wins behind the Netherlands, who won the last two. So prior to the last two tournaments, Spain were in the lead as that bubble. All I'm saying there in the kindest fashion, Pedro, is define bubble. Also, also, Peter, I mean, even if your bubble burst theory was right, I mean, you're not going to get a couple of um, fairy liquid board directors to go along with it, are you? So, you know, me and Graham are not going to... Oh, OK, hold on a second, Pedro, and up in Montaner. Let, let's, just, let's just cool the beans a little bit. As we speak, the holders of the Europa League of Seville, as we speak, Villarreal are going to the final. In, in this dreadful season of crisis in Spanish football, Real Madrid were semi-finalists in the Champions League. Spain go to the European Champions, having pumped Germany 6-0 in the worst defeat in German football international history. And Tony Cruz saying, I've only ever played in one game in my entire life when I literally felt helpless and there was nothing I could do about it. Pedros of the world. Just, just take a chill pill. Now, if, if, if there are things to talk about in a grown-up manner about the, the debt and the... There's a brain drain, Pedro. Pedros. I, I think that if you look and see we Pablo Garcia playing second division football for Lecce um, and he's an absolute diamond of a footballer. If you watch Samuel Castillejo not getting a game at, at Milan 
And if we look, who's the lovely, um, she's, I've always got a problem with his name, lovely ex-Betis left-footed midfielder who's a Spain international who, who plays at, at, at Naples right now. Fabian, Fabian Ruiz, um, Olmoa, flipping Leipzig, you know, Ferran Torres at Manchester City. I, I, I'd argue we can go on and on and on. There's been a brain drain. There's been a degree to which the, the fairly rocky finances of the non-Premier League teat suckling clubs in in Spain have either been ill prepared to, to, to defend their, their 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 junior talents or the junior talents have, have found that it's financially attractive or they'll play more quickly, which is a horrible phrase, in other parts of the world, like Eric Garcia must have thought when he went to Manchester City. There Pedro, there is a there is a there is a problem in the way that Spanish football has been uh, overfished, asset stripped. I think there has been a problem with that, and I think it's going to continue. I think it's hard now for clubs to, for example, there are clubs absolutely lining up to try and take Pau Torres. There's one who I won't name who, who think that certainly when they spoke to me about it, and they were they said they were far further down the line than Real Madrid about Pau Torres. Now I can't believe that if Real Madrid want this kid that A, Villarreal will be able to defend the position, but at least he stays in the Liga. But there is there is one English club that thinks that he's the right man and that, that they're going to get him. And, and Pau Torres is, is, I don't know, what, 22? You know, he's he's this is really his, his, his absolute breakthrough season. And there's so much more he should be offering La Liga until minimum 26, 27, and, and lifting trophies and, and dominating with the international side. But... Already, he's under threat, and you could um, you could mimic that position right across La Liga. Never mind at Villarreal. So there is a problem, and Peter, I I also believe that this dates back to you know my guru and Xavi said that Xavi after the 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 whipping they got at the hands of Bayern Munich that that put a magnifying glass on it back there which i don't know was it 20 no it was, it was Tito Villanova, so let's say 20 yeah i'm going to go for 20 2012 13 is when that whipping came and they conceded what seven times four in munich and three at the camp now Chavi said listen the, the, the spanish school of playing is such that if we are not you know fully on form and we want to play the ball and we're slimmer and smaller and other teams are talented but they're faster and they're bigger and they're on better form and they're they're fitter we'll lose he said all the time and he said this at a time when Barcelona were on the point of winning another treble um, he said it off the back of Spain having dominated international football he pointed out that the, the, the Spanish school of football which doesn't apply to Atleti or Sevilla but across the board in terms of the, the Spanish footballers who are developed it is the case that it that they they play a brand of football whereby if they're exhausted, they don't have the resources to do what the athletes can do. And there is, without being derogatory about Chelsea or even about Bayern Munich, there was a reason that they looked so dominant over the last, you know, 24 months. And, and particularly Chelsea. Chelsea remain not that special aside in terms of individual quality. There is quality. But their number one attribute is that they're supremely drilled and supremely athletic. They remind you, remind me a little bit of the you know original Atleti under Cholo Simeone in terms of how well drilled they are, how willing they are to do everything every time. 
that's great and good luck to them if they win or if uh, you know if Bayern Munich continue another nine uh, Bundesligas. But all we're watching right now, Pedro, is at a time when Spanish football has been a little bit asset stripped in terms of its league clubs, and younger players have been taken away. We're just seeing Spanish sides not having upgraded yet to either having just outright great footballers brought up through their own canteras who are at that that ramming speed age of 26, 27. And we might not get that for a little while because some of them are going to be fished away when they're 19 or 20 or 21, unfortunately. So it's a, it's a collision of circumstances. But the thing that built what you called the bubble about the brilliance of coaching, the brilliant technique, the brilliant ability to strategize on the pitch because we're talking about footballers of really clever minds, that isn't going away. It isn't changing. It, it, it's, it's just not um, under threat at all. What's under threat is how well La Liga's clubs can afford to buy the great players around the world who are now being sourced more quickly by some of the cleverer European clubs and, and how well La Liga's clubs that are now straddled with brutal debt are able to fight against the, the nation-state clubs who are going to say, yeah, we'll take your kid at 19 and we'll keep him for a couple of years until we see whether we've got him, he's got it or not. Um agree with all of that, first, first, first things first. Um, um, I think both Barca and Madrid manage badly their, their um, in Madrid's case, the post-Ronaldo years. Um, you know, they put all, the, they put all their um, chips on Hazard and, and, it, and it hasn't worked out. They, they, they put a lot of confidence in, in, a, in a group of young players um, and were then able to develop them within the club. Um, Brahim's doing really well at Milan. Let's see what he does when he comes back. Kubo's had a nightmare season. Vinicius and Rodrigo standing still. Odegaard at Arsenal. Those five, you know, were were going to be, you know, Real Madrid's immediate future, and it hasn't worked out that way. It may turn out that the Real Madrid's future is actually a generation back. The ones that we're seeing come through now. Antonio Blanco's looked superb. Miguel Gutierrez has looked fantastic. Chus looks a player. Sergio Rivas... So I think Madrid will, will come strong again with those young players. Um, I still somehow think, although I'm not sure how they're going to do it, but I still somehow think they're going to end up with Mbappe because I think Mbappe wants to play there. Um, so they'll be back. Barca will be back. Barca's kids have been, have been brilliant and are, and are a step on from the Madrid players I've just mentioned. Pedri, 50, 50 games in his first season as an 18-year-old. is off the scale. Uh, Ronald Araujo is going to be sensational. He's going to be sensational in terms of the way that Barcelona want to play as well, defending on the halfway line and having having the ability to to cover so much ground. Um, Minguez has been, been been excellent as well. Let's hope and pray that Ansu Fati comes back from what is it now his fifth operation. Poor lad, he's had a he's had a terrible terrible season. And, but let's hope at the start of next season he's on the pitch right right from the go. So they'll both be back. Um, and, and Sevilla and Aleti will be there next season. Uh, Aleti trying to grind out Neil Neil in the first leg with six across the back with Simeone there. We, we already covered that. But um, it, has been a, it has been a fall in a way, but it's temporary and it's cyclical. Um, but um, the, the, the European Cup final this year will be, will be played out between two teams who have um, a bottomless pit of money behind them. Um, and Madrid and Barca have never had that. In the past, they've had a huge uh, unfair advantage in terms of who gets the domestic TV rights. That's been put right by La Liga um, and that's made La Liga far better and far more exciting and it's no coincidence that that's why right now we've got the most exciting title race since I think something like 1948. But as a consequence of that, you make your biggest team slightly less powerful in Europe. 
uh, um, and we're seeing that in the Champions League. But um, it's a blip, and um, I think there'll be a Spanish club in the final uh, once again, um, if not next season, the season after. So it's also been played out between two sides who've who've dipped into, you know, where Aspilicueta is the captain of one side, and Ferran Torres and Rodri are interesting, important footballers at City. I may have missed a couple. Brahim was there. And and even though there's a splurge of Spanish colours right across the two squads, it is the case that you know none of those players are, are, are playing in La Liga. More like them will be tempted away. There's absolutely no question about that whatsoever in my mind. And, um, you know, I suppose you could apply that to to Cunaguero when he was taken away he was taken away from Atleti and Atleti were you know they welcomed the fee but it, it's it's the case at the moment that a lot of Spain's clubs aren't going to be able to defend themselves from you know the 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 multi-billionaire owned clubs who come in and say we like the look of you it's not necessarily going to be the first team kid but uh, you, you'll be part of our development and maybe in a couple of seasons you'll be lifting the European Cup and for an extra two hundred thousand pounds a week, most most kids will say yeah. And as you and as, and as you say, Graham, that is mostly financial. Um, but the, there's one outlier there that you mentioned, Aspiliqueta. Aspiliqueta could have been bought. I mean, Barcelona should have bought Cesar Aspiliqueta about three seasons ago. Um, and and he's just a player who Barcelona and Madrid in particular are guilty of missing what's right under their nose and, and trying to go Spot to one. the other side of the world to find it um, Aspiliqueta has probably been and you're the best person to ask this to Graham if you can think of someone better he's probably been the best Spanish defensive export in, in the history of their game um, and it's so great that he's going to be he goes into the, the, to the to Champions League final with a chance to lift in the trophy he's been brilliant again this season but strangely overlooked by Barcelona by Real Madrid and by the national team as well because he doesn't play for Barcelona or Real Madrid. Well, well courtesy of UEFA, I'm actually I'm interviewing him this, this afternoon, so I shall pass that on. That's a brilliantly comprehensive answer. And just on, on the subject of Champions League final, we'll finish with a question from our sponsors at Bet365, who ask, who will be man of the match in the Champions League final? And I just want to preface this by saying, we are planning to do a Champions League Q&A and get into this in a little bit more detail. So let's just use this as a, like, a nice teaser for that show. So maybe, Graham and Pete, if you could both pick a potential man in the match for this year's Champions League final, wherever it will be played. You'd be tempted, given how vital City's midfield is, however you define the midfield, whether you <clears throat> define it as the way in which they they control the game or the way in which currently they have runners arriving, like they call it in Spanish football, with Diagada in and around the opponent's box and scoring. That should mean that if Chelsea win, there should be a fair argument that Kante, who's been extraordinary, and I know has been ext- one of those guys who's been extremely worried about the pandemic. He's found himself very uh, affected by it. It's been it's been playing on his mind. He's been ultra ultra careful about things, and in in recent games, he's been stunning. But I'm gonna take a little punt over the two games against Real Madrid. Christian Pulisic, who didn't start the second one made the difference. Chelsea pummeled them and were very, very good in a number of different areas, including Mondi. But from if Chelsea win it, it's my interpretation that it'll be between Mondi and Pulisic. And if they win it, I'm going to go Pulisic. And for City, I don't think there's, there's any doubts, or I don't have any doubts, 
that is outstandingly brilliant as Kevin De Bruyne is, and it'll be him against his ex-club. I think the guy who's wriggled clear of the kind of marking schemes that Chelsea will put up, and although I think Gundogan is is slightly feeling the impact of a, of a, of a huge season, I think that it's Gundogan for uh, City and Pulisic for Chelsea. Just as I have uh, sympathy for, for people who have not been paying attention to La Liga for the last 15 years and have therefore not seen enough Messi games and only seen him in the Champions League, every time I watch Kevin De Bruyne, I, I have similar feelings about having maybe not taking in as many Premier League games as, as I would have liked to. He's just an absolute joy to watch. Um, and um, as Graham points out, he's up against his former club, European Cup final. He's never talked about when we, when we talk about the podium, when we talk about you know the best three players in the world. But I think this, this, this could be his night. And you know they came so close, didn't they, in the summer to, to bring in Lionel Messi. What, what would that have meant for, for KDB? I don't know. Um, um, he would have had to play second fiddle as everyone does to, to the great man but um, they didn't get Messi it's all about De Bruyne and I think it'll be De Bruyne's final OK that's it for the second part of this month's Q&A thanks to all our socios who sent in questions for this month's show Graham Hunter and Pete Jensen thank you for your time and thanks to you for listening we'll be back with one more big interview before the end of the season bye bye If you're driven to pursue excellence, if you're passionate about exploring new perspectives, if you have the will to generate change, join us at Michigan State University and be what's next in the world. Here at one of the nation's leading research universities, you can use your talent and grit to make a difference in the lives of others. Be part of something exceptional. 
be part of Generation Will. Learn more at admissions.msu.edu.